Okay. <clears throat> Are you folks awake today? Some of you have me concerned. And, and I'm, I'm serious. Some of you folks, I, I just look out and you're a little tuckered. Is it the snow? Is, is it the cold? Did you stay up too late watching basketball last night? No? Okay. How about you just stand up for just a second? Stand up here. No? Okay. <laughs> I might need an usher down front here. Um, get a little nervous. Oh. Stretch out. You see someone around you that's tired? They need to be woken up here. I'm going to give you 30 seconds for one more meet and greet, okay? I don't do this often, but you need it today. Trust me. 30 seconds, say hi to someone you didn't say hi to. Just real quick, real quick. Here we go, bro. Love you, man. Little heart emojis. Okay, don't get too carried away. You can have a seat now. <clears throat> Hopefully you're awake and we're all set to go. Grab your Bible and turn to James chapter 5. <clears throat> we are in the last chapter of our study in James and we're going to finish up in the next three weeks this series of Faith Works. In James chapter 5, we're going to be going through the first six verses. Before we jump into our study today, I want you to know that things are clicking along very nicely for the Mast family. They are so excited to be here. They move here, folks. They are packing up and they are driving their U-Haul a week from tomorrow, or from today. They will, they will start driving a week from today. They pull into town a week from tomorrow, and that's when they will be closing on their house on Smith Road. And what we will be doing a week from tomorrow is helping them unpack their U-Haul. It'll be right near 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And so um, if you have opportunity, already start thinking, can I free up somewhere around 2 or 2.30 or 3.00? And if you can, Smith Road is right off of Three Mile going south. And if you're wondering where that is, just drive by after church and you'll just start going down Three Mile, turn left at Olson's, go down there. It's just a few roads down on the left. There's a cutesy little farm over there and their house is back there. We'll get you the address next week and we'll all meet over there right near 2 o'clock and maybe we'll even order some pizza or something like that and and have a little bit of fun, unload their U-Haul, and get them all set and take care of those folks right near 2 o'clock. So start planning on it next Monday, and we'll give you the firm details next Sunday when we're all together. They are so excited, and truthfully, I'm excited to get them here too. So uh, that's the latest and greatest on them. James chapter 5. Today, <clears throat> James gives some perspective on money. Money is a tough subject today. 
Very few people are in such a situation where they have so much money, they just don't know what to do with it all. We've heard the famous phrase, money talks. You know, one person said, um, if money talks, all mine ever says is goodbye. To some people, money means happiness. If I have money, then I will be happy. Or it means security. If I have money, then I will be secure. I will be confident. I will have it made. Some people, and this is what the text is concerned with today, some people worship money. Last week we talked about idols and some people that have desires that exceed their desire for God. Today, James outlines one of those desires and he pinpoints it and it's money. Some people have put their desire for money over that of their desire for God. Now, I just want to be right at the onset. It is not a sin to have money. It is not a sin to be wealthy. It is not a sin, and it does not mean that you are in sin if you are not wealthy. The Apostle Paul says, I know what it means to have a lot, and I know what it means to have very little. And he says, either way, I'm content. We also know a person from the Old Testament. His name was Job, and he was the richest man that there was. And at one point, he had so much. And then, right like this, boom, and it was all gone. And his friend said, you know why you're losing it? It's because of sin. And you know what? They were all dead wrong. It was not because of sin. And so you can have a lot. You cannot have a lot. It may not in any way have anything to do with your spiritual condition. But the Bible's always concerned with any time we value things above God or we worship things above God. And so one question I want to put out to us here today How do we know if I'm worshiping God or valuing money above him? How do I know if money is of greater significance to me than God? Here's one one way. I desire it more than God. It's of greater passion to me than God. I'm preoccupied with it. It's all I think about. I've got to have it, got to have it. It it becomes part of my regular goals and life. And and in fact, it, it are the goals that run my life rather than God's desires and goals for my life. Here's another one. It's what I put my trust in. Some people say, you know what? My life will be so much better if I just have more money. You know what? I, my problems will go away if I have money. It almost, can you hear how God has been replaced in there? No longer is, you know, I need God. God solves my problems. Now it's money solves my problems. 
And here in these situations, it is money that provides my happiness. It is money that provides my security. It is money that provides my confidence. It is not God. And it is a great reminder for all of us that there is a reason why on every printed currency that we have in the United States of America, there is a phrase, right? You know what it is. Say it with me. In God. Yeah, it's a helpful reminder. We're never supposed to put our trust in money. It's always supposed to be in God. So the text here in James 5, instantly, James launches into those not merely who are rich or wealthy, but to those who have put their trust in wealth, and it has taken a toll on them. Let's look at the text, and then we're going to talk about those who worship money over God. Look at verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read these for us. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So let's launch into it here. Those who worship money over God. Those who worship money over God. Here's number one that the text teaches us about these individuals. Those who worship money over God, number one, they lose what they worship they will lose what they worship verses 1 to 3 details the reality that everything that they have amassed everything that they are leaning on and that they are desiring and that they are worshiping will be gone the bible mentions that they have hoarded that they have lived in luxury and self-indulgence, that their passion and desire for wealth in mowing over other individuals, now all of a sudden, in the very end, it ends up going. Their wealth rots, their clothes are eaten, their gold and silver are corroded, and even their flesh, even their very own bodies, gone it kind of reminds me of a parable a story in the bible it's not even a parable it's an account in the bible of um, two individuals 
One was a rich man and one was a beggar named Lazarus. And, um, and Lazarus was, was just getting scraps off the floor. In fact, his fight was with dogs who were trying to get the same food. And the Bible mentions that they both died and Lazarus woke up and the text mentions in Abraham's bosom or in paradise, he, he woke up and what we would understand is, is heavenly. And the rich man awakened in Hades or in hell and in torment. And everything that he had amassed was gone. And everything that Lazarus never had, he never had anyone waiting on him. He never had peace and care for him, and he had it. And everything the rich man had worked for was gone. They lose what they worship. We all have heard the old saying, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Very true. We've all heard, you can't take it with you. It's true. Although many think money brings happiness, truth is, when we put our trust in it, it often brings deep misery. Case in point, in 1928, a group of the world's most successful financiers met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. The following were present. The president of the largest utility company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest bear in Wall Street, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, the head of the world's greatest monopoly. And collectively, these tycoons controlled more wealth than there was in the U.S. Treasury. Can you imagine that? And for years, newspapers and magazines had been printing their success stories and urging the youth of the nation to follow their examples. 25 years later, here's what happened to these men. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years in his life and died dead broke. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died abroad broke. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, served a term in prison. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, committed suicide. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, 
Ivar Druger committed suicide, all of these men had learned how to make money. Problem is, all of them thought it was their end game too. So here's what James is saying. When money is our object of worship, we will lose it all. We will lose what we worship. We'll lose it all. Here's number two. I want to give you these, and then we're going to end with some really neat principles for us to finish up on. Number two, not only do they lose what they worship, they lose their character. These are really important things to think about. Notice uh, verse 4. Verse 4 says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And so here in verse 4, um, not only will they lose what they worship, they lose their character. So when they worship money, here they end up having a loss of character as well. Anything for money. And so here it is, I do not pay individuals what they are owed because I need to retain money for myself. And so here he mentions the workmen that were failed to be paid, the harvesters that were failed to be paid. And, and I realize that this looks like only a corporate type of a thing. And certainly God looks at injustice like this, will not smile upon it. But I, I read through um, a commentary by Warren Wiersbe, and he even goes beyond this. Anytime that we say, you know what, I, I, I don't know that I should pay this bill or pay those individuals or even in light of the government you know those taxes or those things over there I could retain that for myself anytime we deal with a lack of integrity with our money we are realizing that we are taking steps we are losing our character in order to retain money and money is causing us, or the worship of money is causing us to lose character. It's a loss of character. I want to give you number three. Not only can we lose character in the worship of money, but we can also lose, as verse 5 and 6 show us, we can lose compassion. We can lose compassion. He mentions in here, in the midst of luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. And then verse 6, he says, you've, you've condemned and murdered the innocent one. And they weren't even opposing you. There's, there's individuals of innocence who were there, and, and they weren't even doing anything wrong, and, and they end up becoming a casualty in our quest for wealth. And here he mentions there becomes no compassion for others. There was no heart, there was no care. What had, whatever needed to be done for the dollar, even the innocent one who stood in the way of my ambitions, what a shame, stinks to be them. 
And James is quite clear when, when Andrew Jackson or Abraham Lincoln or Ben Franklin become more important than our neighbor or our brother in Christ. It's when we're in a situation where our money becomes an object of worship and causes us misery in the end. Its priorities become greater than the priorities of God. If you're in the book of James, would you just look over to chapter 1 for a moment? Because these are the priorities of God. Verse 27. These are the things that are at the heart of God. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God always desires that with our wealth, we have a heart of compassion for the innocent, that we look out for those who have less, that are without, who have need. And in fact, it's a sign of our religion, it's a sign that we are truly followers of Jesus, that we see those that are without, and that we step in and help those rather than mowing over them. And people who have a passion for the almighty dollar end up losing that in the end. They end up losing their character in the meantime and they lose their compassion, which is ultimately a sign that we follow after Jesus Christ by having that compassion for other people. Okay, that's the bad side. I want to give you some of the good side about money. Here's some good things about money, some things that have been mulling over in my heart, and I want to give you these. These are, um, I think, they've been a help to me, and as I still learn and go through some things about money, and I think that they'll be a help for you as well. I don't get to talk about money a lot. In fact, you realize sometimes money talk in church, sometimes it's frowned upon, like, oh, that's all churches want is money. And uh, sometimes churches talk too little about money because they shy away from it. I really think it's, it's something if the Bible talks about it, we need to talk about it. So here we are. I want to give you some reminders about money, and maybe these will stir some additional thoughts in your small group, maybe even in your ride home, chat with your kids or with your spouse or with your friends. Here's a few different things about money. Here's number one, some reminders about money. Money is... A great servant, but a heartless master. Great servant, heartless master. Here's the problem with money love. Is that money is very powerful if we love it. It's a wonderful servant, but when we love it, Oh, it can cause us to do crazy, crazy things. In fact, I oftentimes don't do this. Keep your finger here in James. 
turn to the left, if you would, back a few books of the Bible to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy in chapter 6. I want you to see something that's really significant about love of money and putting it in its place. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. And here's the, here's the issue of passion and desire. Paul mentions those who want to get rich, verse 9, fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here's why, verse 10, for the love of money. Now it doesn't say money, it is the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And the concern some people eager for money have wandered from the faith have pierced themselves with many griefs. Wandered from the faith, wandered from God's priorities, gone off into things that they should never have. And let me just put it out there. Does that ever sound like anything that you've ever felt in here? And if it is, I'm here just to say to you, there have been times I have felt that too. When we love money, when we surrender ourselves to it, when we make money an idol, when we make money a God, when we exchange the truth of God for a lie and the glory of God for an idol, when we do that, Money will require us to do things we don't want to do. And lure us to not do things when we want, that we want to do. That's what money does when it becomes a God. Gods have a tendency to help direct human behavior. When the God of money cracks the whip, it will ask of us to... Think about this, work more and stay away from home more. Be away from our spouse and kids more. Money will ask us to give less and share less and buy more. Money will crack the whip and will prompt us to cheat more on our business dealings, or to our employer, or to not pay that bill. And that's why the text says, you cannot love both God and money. You cannot serve both of them. You will either love the one and hate the other, or the other way around, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says. It's a great servant. It's a heartless master. We need to put it in his place. Here's number two. This one's a biggie. Comparison 
is the enemy of contentment. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. Okay. No one in this room is truly poor. Just answer these questions in your mind. Did you sleep on a bed last night? Okay? Now, I know that there may be some who got in trouble and had to sleep on the couch last night. I'm not talking about that. You slept on a bed last night. If you had more than one meal yesterday, if you have transportation, if you have seen a doctor in the last year, if you have more than one change of clothes, Can I just share with you right now, you are more wealthy than 71% of the world's population. You realize that? You are rich, people. We are rich. If any one of us went to a third world country, you would find we are crazy rotten, stinking, spoiled, filthy, rich. And then there are places in this country where we would find that. My wife and I took a um, missions trip to Gallup, New Mexico a number of years ago, and when we went there, um, we went with a youth group in our prior ministry and, and we were helping Navajo Indians and they wanted to put us up in their best place. And, and um, they, were, they were hooping it up and they were going to pick us up in their van and they were going to put us up in their nicest place in their village. And they picked us up in their van, and I'm telling you, I know that we're looking to get a new van here. Our current van, woo, looks like a Lexus. And we found out rapidly as they were bringing our youth group in, and we were coming to a four-way stop, and this guy hit his brakes, and there was nothing there. And we went whoosh, right through the intersection that this was not a good church van at all and we got back and they took us to their nicest accommodations and there was an outside spigot for running water that's what made this their nicest place and i remember all of us going out and brushing our teeth around this outside spigot and filling up a camp shower container and hanging it outside in the sun to warm it up and rationing showers like 
You've got one minute, folks. Try telling a teenage girl they have one minute. This was their best place. And then we would take a trip to pick up kids for VBS in the death trap van. And when we came around, we would stop. And I'm telling you folks, we would stop at a home that was probably half the size of this platform. And I'm telling you, three families would come out with all their children. And I remember coming home from Gallup, New Mexico to our home where we just turned on these magical faucets and hot water magically came out. And standing in a shower and just feeling guilty almost. Like my one minute was up and I'm still here. Realizing how rich I was. And I'm understanding that the longer I'm in this thing, comparison with those who have more is an enemy for us. When we look at those who have so much and we say, oh, I need, I, I need that. I mean, how much better if we compared with those who had less to help calibrate our riches, but instead we say, oh, I only have the iPhone 5 and they have the iPhone 18, you know, and I, I need that, you know. I only have 8 megapixels on my camera and they have 20. And how much more I could do. You know, or, or we watch the, the shows that, oh, and they did this to their house and that to their house and all, oh, and I, I need, I need. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to have things. But we need to be careful in the comparison. Here is number three. Remember. And this is the beauty. When it comes to money... This is when we do make it a servant. We mentioned it makes a great servant, but a heartless master. We make it our servant when we remember it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we think getting is awesome, you should try giving. Woo! Giving rocks. 
These are the words of Jesus in Acts 20, 35. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is when we make money our servant. We say, money, you don't own me. I own you. And in fact, I'm going to give you away. To prove to you you don't own me, you're going to take a walk. And you're going to go walk over to their place. And you're going to work for them. That proves that you are not my idol. You're going to work for God today. You're going to go help those needy people today. You're going to help those orphans today. You're going to help the pregnancy care center today. But money, you are my servant, not my master. And it is more blessed to give than to receive. I love this story about a little boy named Jimmy. He was a special needs kid. And he didn't fit in well at school. And Valentine's Day was coming. And he wanted to take the opportunity to make a special Valentine for everyone in his class. And Jimmy was, he was afraid he would forget someone in his class and his mom, however, was fearful knowing how disappointed he may be if no one made anything for him. So each night that week, he tried to remember everyone in the class, and he put together a card for each one of them. And he made a special box for the Valentines. And that morning came, and he prayed, God, help me to not forget anyone in my class. And while he prayed that, his mom silently prayed, please help his classmates to remember him. And at the end of the day, she looked down the sidewalk and here was Jimmy running for home, and he ran into the house, and he was screaming, Mom, Mom, you'll never believe it. You will never believe it. He was so excited. And she said right out, What, did you get some Valentines? And he said, No, even better. I didn't forget anyone, he said. We show... God, that we're his servant, and we show money that it's our servant. When we make money work for God, and for others, make money work. Make money work for God's kingdom. Take God up on his promises. 
see if it really is more blessed to give than receive. Really? To God said it. I'm going to take him up on it. I am going to give. I am. I'm going to give to God's work. I'm going to give to others in need. My family are going to take up a neighbor. We're going to help someone that does have a need. Jesus is the one who said it. And here's the deal. Does anyone know more about giving than Jesus? Like, really? Giving is at the heart of Jesus. Giving is what we celebrate every Sunday in our great God. There was no one who ever gave more than Jesus. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, but God showed his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's giving. Christ gave for us. No one knows more about giving than Jesus Christ. And here we are as followers of him. We should know something about giving too. And I just want to put it out there to us today. I really want us to think about that. Two things. I want you to think about making money your servant. Making sure it's not your master. But then I also want you to think about the gift of God through Jesus Christ Folks, if you know for sure that you are forgiven by God because he died on the cross for your sin, and you believe that, you are the richest of all. Amen? You are the richest of all. There is no greater rich, richness than having your sins forgiven, and knowing for sure that you're going to heaven and having relationship with God. There's nothing greater. If you don't know for sure that you're forgiven, here's what I want to put out to you. It needs to happen. It needs to happen today. And here's how it works. The Bible says you need to understand and recognize that we've all done wrong. That's all of us. You need to recognize that our wrong deserves punishment, and it does, a punishment in hell, <clears throat> but that Jesus Christ bore in his own body our punishment for our sin when he died on the cross. If we believe that and give our lives to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, you will never perish, but you will have everlasting life. Give your life to Jesus as your forgiver and your leader. And you will have his riches of a relationship and heaven. So let's pray together. And I want you to think about those two things. Making money. <clears throat> making money your slave and not your master making it work for God's kingdom 
not putting our faith and trust in it. And remembering that Jesus is the greatest giver of all. Knowing that we're truly rich in him. And knowing if you've not trusted in Jesus, the way forward is to believe, repent, Give your life to him. And in fact, if that's you, here's what you need to express to God in a prayer and from your heart you say, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin has forever separated me from you and there's no way on my own that I can recover myself. But I also know that you sent Jesus, your son, to die in my place and bear my punishment for my sin. I believe it, I trust it, I ask for your forgiveness, I give my life to you, I want to live for you. That needs to be the cry of your heart if you've never, ever trusted Jesus before. That needs to be your prayer. Would you pray that to him right now? Would you give your life to him right now? Father, for our church family, thank you. Thank you for the neat community that you continue to build and grow here. May money never shackle us. May it never be our master, both corporately and personally. May it be our servant. And God, may May it work for your kingdom. May it touch the needy. May it reach people globally with your gospel. May it help touch our community with the love of Jesus Christ. And may people see that we're truly your disciples and that we're not about the almighty dollar but we're about our almighty God and Lord if there's any here that have lost their desire toward money if they have lost their character or their compassion convict us turn our hearts back to you to give
get our desires right, to put you back on the throne and to do things the way you would have them be done. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you. God bless your worship through the week. Kind of curious about your small groups and how your discussion about money will go. I know ours was already good as we talked about this this morning. Now get ready. Next Monday, 2 o'clock, we're going to be helping the mass to unload their vehicle and get all set into their new home. Be ready for that. Also, if you want to help with our late winter cleaning here at church, grab a three-by-five card at the information desk. And get ready for Easter coming up in three weeks. Hey, God bless you. See you next week.